Hello and welcome. Welcome to Fired Up, the political talk show here on WJMSRadio.com. This is Steve and I'm your host each week as we look underneath the hood at what makes our political system tick or not tick uh, each week. And uh, we've had a very, very exciting week, uh, not necessarily in a happy way exciting as we're still under the the threat and problem of the coronavirus COVID-19 here in the U.S. as the uh, in the incident counts, the number of cases continues to rise as law as well as the number of people who unfortunately succumb to the illness. Uh, we've seen a marked number of increases over the past couple of weeks as testing has expanded and as more and more people get identified as having the disease. We're going to talk more about COVID virus and uh, its ramifications toward the end of the program. Uh, I did want to move and talk about some of the other things going on, even though, you know, the coronavirus has been the 8,000 pound gorilla in the room for the last uh, few months. Uh, There have been other things going on. There is still a Democratic campaign underway uh, moving toward the convention in July and moving toward ultimately the national election in November of this year. Uh, We're going to uh, talk about some of the other news that has happened over the past week. Uh, Most importantly, in reaction to the COVID-19 epidemic here in the country, uh, Congress in an overwhelmingly bipartisan fashion, that is the vote was unanimous for all who, who were able to attend, And side note, there are several senators and a couple of congressmen who are actually out due to having contracted the virus. Uh, But the uh, result was that the Congress of the United States sent a bill for the president's signature, and he, in fact, signed it. And it is a historic $2 trillion, with a T, trillion dollar uh, relief bill Uh, targeting not only uh, businesses in this country, both large and small, but also, and more importantly, uh, helping out the average workers in America, as well as the hospital system and first responders. So, you know, kudos to our legislators and the president for getting that done and getting it done in, in quick action. However, it was not a really smooth road in terms of how it got to be a done deal and signed. Uh, There were, of course, some political games played with both Democrats and Republicans uh, arguing over some additions to the bill and, and amendments that were presented that created some controversy. Uh, The largest controversy was at the uh, 10th hour when the bill was moving through the House of Representatives toward final passage. One congressman, one congressman, uh, Representative Massey uh, of Kentucky, uh, held up the bill for a a significant amount of time uh, because he was not willing to accept a a voice vote uh, on it He wanted to have all of the members of the House return back to Washington, D.C. They were away and uh, vote in person. Not only, you know, a logistical nightmare given the travel restrictions and flight delays and cancellations and all of that of getting 
you know, the, the members of Congress back into D.C. so that they could come and vote. But also, you know, you're putting the 435 members of, of the House along with the hundreds of staffers and support people and security and all of the other people that make that side of the chamber work at risk for exposure to the illness as well. As a result of his action, Representative Massey was largely criticized by both, ha- both sides of the House for his actions. And, you know, in, in looking at it from the outside in, the optics of that maneuver by this representative was really, really bad. Uh, you know, this is a bill that aims to help, you know, everyone in America that aims to provide much, much needed assistance for those people who have been furloughed from work or laid off or flat out lost their jobs because their companies have shut down to the small businesses that, you know, are faced with, you know, rising uh, employee expense for health care for those employees that are away from work but not fired from the company, they still got to pay them, yet they have no revenue coming in because their business has been shuttered by, you know, the virus. A large number of businesses in all 50 states have closed their doors for, you know, an indefinite period of time, in some cases ranging from a few weeks to, in others, you know, a month or two months or more potentially. And this is time that they're not making any money yet they still have employees on the payroll that have to be paid. So this bill sought to provide them with relief and give them, you know, at least some assistance in making sure that they can keep, you know, their employees paid so that employees can, in fact, you know, pay their bills and put food on the table and and do the things they need to do, even though they are, you know, not working right now due to no fault of their own. So, you know, it, it's a, a historic measure in its scope and size, but, you know, it does show uh, one, you know, shining thing is that, yes, in fact, even in this polarized society, uh, Democrats and Republicans can come together for the greater public good and actually accomplish uh, good things. So kudos to both sides on getting that done, uh, you know, even with the the games that were played and you know the political positioning and posturing that goes on you know anytime that you know a major piece of legislation is is running its way through the house and senate there are always going to be you know some grandstanding and some political posturing and you know so forth and so on but it is a good thing that they got through this and managed to get this bill signed and get it you know started to be in the works uh, the anticipation is that for, you know, Mr. and Mrs. America at home, uh, you know, checks should be rolling out within the next, oh, anywhere from four to six weeks. So that will be good. It also includes some much needed extensions and expansions to unemployment insurance, which will help. Uh, there is a, you know, really unique uh position where the federal government is going to subsidize an additional uh, up to $600 a week for, you know, paychecks for certain individuals who are on unemployment to add to, you know, what is paid to them by the state. And in in many cases, this will keep the average American uh, pretty near their, their normal, you know, paycheck amount. 
the average paycheck in the United States for you know working person is about nine hundred and forty dollars uh, a week, and you know the average uh, unemployment benefit, depending on which state you're living in, is anywhere from about two hundred and fifty to three hundred some odd dollars, and so. So this extra 600 bucks is actually going to move them pretty close to what, on average, a worker in this country makes. And again, as I said, that is a good thing. I'm happy to see that it's happened uh, and that it happened relatively cleanly. Uh, and hopefully, you know, as as you know, quickly as it went through the legislative process, getting it enacted and rolling out the door will also be a smooth operation. Uh, you know, the, the grandstanding that I mentioned before continued up through the signing process where the president uh, made a grand ceremony of signing this bill uh, surrounded by Republican leadership, uh, noted that no Democratic leaders were invited uh, to the signing. Uh, that was thing number one. Thing number two was that all of these individuals were standing shoulder to shoulder amid calls by, you know, the government and health officials uh, about maintaining the social distance of six feet. Yet, you know, the president had these people gathered closely around him. Hopefully none of them were carriers of the virus because uh, it would then potentially spread to, you know, the leadership of one party of this country. He also, in his signing ceremony uh, and comments subsequent to that, uh, he has attacked Democratic governors uh, across the country and several in particular uh, for um, he has attacked the Democratic governors, uh, specifically targeting the governor of Michigan and uh, the governor of New York uh, for their outspoken uh, advocacy for assistance needed and not provided. Uh, by the federal government and their criticism of the president and his uh, task force on the virus for being slow to respond and you know inconsistent and incomplete in their messaging and also for delaying and questioning requests for equipment that it's clear that you know the states desperately need in order to combat this uh, this virus and not not uh, to you know, let it slip by the boards, uh, he did this one day after issuing high praise for the governors of the uh, states for you know their response and stepping up to fill in the void that the federal government was slow to respond to uh, based on what each of them needed in their state. So on one hand, he was praising them one day, and the next day he's criticizing them. Okay, nothing really new on that front. Uh, he added that, you know, he thinks that uh, all of the governors should be much more appreciative of his leadership in fighting the COVID-19 outbreak here in the country. And, you know, that seemed to be a sticking point with him. Uh, it, it's interesting to note that, you know, the, the information and leadership that we've gotten from our president seems to be uh, intimately tied to how well his perception of the economy is doing based on what the stock market is doing. Now, experts will tell you that you know, the stock market is one but not the exclusive 
indicator of how well the economy is performing, there are many more components to that, such as manufacturing output, uh, gross domestic product, and other related metrics that you know officials use in measuring how well or how poorly the U.S. economy is doing, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter, etc. But what it seems like is that when the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average is down, uh, he's trying to provide news and information and uh, guidance that is intended to raise the stock market, to boost the to boost the the stock prices in in the country, and then when it's up. He is, you know, most supportive and most gracious in his praise for his health team and, you know, the leadership teams and the governors and the states and and the efforts that are being done by private companies and all of the elements that have gone into what he sees as holding the stock market up to its record levels, uh, which in his mind is a report card on his performance as president. And after all, lest we forget, this is an election year. And, you know, if the economy is doing poorly and the virus has expanded, you know, drastically in the country and there are a lot of people who are sick and are dying, uh, this is not going to bode well for his chances at being reelected come November. And he realizes this. So, you know, in one part, he's playing a political game and a a political strategy game to try and spin the most positive news he can spin to uh, make sure that, you know, the people, especially his base, recognize that, you know, he has been, you know, standing at the forefront of this and has been a leader in this and has, you know, taken decisive action and, and all of these things. When I, I suspect that, you know, history will look back and look at the fact that, you know, America was weeks late in starting its response to the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. Uh, and at the start uh, that, you know, frankly, the president made very light of it, saying, you know, there were only a couple of people who had died and, you know, warm weather is going to make this go away and it will be like a miracle. And presenting all of this information that was less than factual uh, when what the American people need to hear and are capable of hearing, by the way. You know, we are very tough, uh, resilient groups. We can take bad news as long as we are getting the facts and as long as, you know, what, what is coming from our leadership represents the, the best case scenario or the, the, the best options that, you know, we can expect to happen. Yes, you know, with any virus, we realize that we are going to lose lives. But, you know, we are, are hopeful that our country will be able to do what it does best and respond and respond quickly uh, to, you know, mitigate and minimize the effects of this virus as we have done with others in the past. Realize that, you know, once we get geared up, you know, the, the science and technology to help with this virus uh, is more than capable of producing the weapons that we need to combat it. But when, you know, one, we have a late start, we don't recognize the seriousness of this, you know, from day one, as we probably should have, you know, this just 
gives us and creates a handicap for us to overcome. And what we are seeing now is this delay in our progression up the, the curve of this uh, disease's communication through our, our community uh, simply because we were late responding. Now, you know, in, in recent days, America has moved to the uh, top of the list in terms of the number of cases of COVID-19 that have been uh, diagnosed. And again, this is still without, you know, incomplete testing or testing not near the levels that other countries have tested. We are just now, nearly a month later, getting to the, the multiple thousands of tests per day, whereas countries such as China, North Korea, you know, Italy, and others have been testing, you know, five and ten times more people per day than we were a month ago. And as a result, what is, is being seen from news reports I've heard is, you know, in China, for example, they are starting to see a leveling out of their new cases. And the same thing in South Korea, that, you know, while it's not sure if they have hit their peak yet, it looks like they are approaching it and have managed to, in some regard, successfully level out that curve, which is the objective to make sure that, you know, number one, uh, the fewest number of people are infected and, and potentially suffer, you know, ill consequences. And number two, that we don't have so many cases if we have a huge spike that our healthcare system is overrun. And we saw this happen in Italy where, you know, through, you know, through their actions and, and response times, they had a huge spike in the number of cases and their hospital system was absolutely overrun and unable to cope and deal with the number of patients that were coming in reporting signs of the illness. So, you know, there is hope that, you know, our response, although delayed, is going to be effective and that we are going to flatten this curve. You know, now I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand from listening to a lot of the doctors and medical officials speak is that a flatter curve, even though it may extend the duration you know, of you know, the spread of the infection will most importantly mitigate the impact on our medical system so that people who are infected can receive proper care. And that's the key, because the, the sooner that care is received and the better quality of that care, the more likely it is that people will come through the other side of this infection and actually survive. Now, as I said, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the numbers you know, in the final segment, in our call to action segment, as I have a couple of specific things to talk about with that. Uh, but the one thing I will say is that one number that we don't hear a lot about, although I did hear Governor Cuomo mention it in his press conference uh, on Sunday when this show was being recorded, uh, and you know, he was talking about how many people actually are surviving uh, the COVID-19 disease. So that, that's a positive sign because that number is a greatly large percentage of the people who get infected actually survive it. But we'll talk more about those numbers uh, toward the latter part of the program. Uh, going to uh, take our first break here. Uh, one thing that I do want to point is that uh, as of the date this program will air, 
uh, on the 30th of March. Uh, I want to shout out and give recognition for the birthday of one of my musical heroes and icons, Gil Scott Heron. Uh, those of you who've listened to the show faithfully know I, I somewhat frequently will uh, drop a Gil Scott Heron song in one of the breaks. Uh, but April 1st uh, would have been Gil Scott Heron's um, 71st birthday. Uh, he uh, was born on April 1st in 1949, and he died from medical complications uh, of a long illness on May 27th in 2011. So we're going to have our, our first song be uh, one of my, my favorites by Gil Scott Heron, and I hope you enjoy it. Take a listen and listen to the lyrics and kind of put it into context of, you know, today. A lot of his songs uh, that were recorded, he was very, very, very uh, prolific in the 70s and 80s, uh, were, you know, during the Reagan era and, and those times. However, a lot of the things that he talks about in his music, and I urge you to dig into his discography and, and you know, listen to his records and listen to the lyrics uh, of what he's talking about, a lot of his music is directly relevant to today and you know in many ways you know it really would have been interesting to get his take on the political climate of today his politics was one of his major focuses uh, of his music so we'll take a break right here we're going to listen to a little bit of gil scott heron and you're listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. We're here on WJMSRadio.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after some music from the legendary Gil Scott Heron. My name is Christian. I am the voice of saying, remembering things that I told me yesterday. My name is Christian. Inside your frame, we saw the devils had to make them go away. My name is what's your name. You might reject my claim, but I expect that you won't vary from the norm. My name is what's your name. Ours is a single aim, and we can double recognize and need form. Take it to the streets, tell everybody you meet. Someone look closely, who does it resemble? My name is what's your name? If you recall the change, then you can dig that we've been put into a trance. My name is what to do. I am inside of you. I've been here ever since the day you learned to stand. My name is what's your name? Born on the wings of strain. Ours is a justice that has long been overdue. My name is what to do, but we already knew. And now the clouds are winning. How come in the view? Take it to the street. Tell everybody you meet. Do whatever you do whenever you hear the water drum beating. Put it in the air. Spit it everywhere. 
whatever you do, whatever you know you got to be there. Shamat, you only take it as a symbol. Shamat, look closely, who does it resemble? My name is what's your name? I am the voice of same. Remembering things that I told me yesterday. My name is what's your name? I am inside your frame. We saw the devils had to make them go away. Take it to the streets and tell everybody you meet. Do whatever you do, whatever you hear the water jumping. Put it in the air, spit it everywhere. Do whatever you do, whenever you know you got to be there. Somebody you only take it as a symbol. song by the legendary Gil Scott Heron, uh, an icon of spoken word, uh, his, even though he didn't really want the, the title of being one of the fathers of rap, he is in fact uh, included in that pantheon. He preferred to call himself a bluesologist, uh, but we have to give him props and recognize you know, his uh, iconic being part of the founding of spoken word music and rap music today and still, you know, has an influence. So, you know, happy belated and, and posthumous birthday, Gil Scott Heron. Rest in peace and rest in power. So getting back into what we were talking about, uh, even in the realm of politics, uh, the coronavirus is having, you know, as we've discussed in prior shows, is having a major impact uh, one of the other things that occurred this week that really, really, um, you know, upset me and upset a lot of people, particularly those of us who have, you know, elderly parents and all of that, uh, was a statement that came out of Texas from the Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, uh, where in a press conference, he uh, essentially called for you know older Americans uh, to essentially take one for the team and you know if they contract this virus to go ahead let it run its course uh, and basically die um, you know I don't know about you but I found this this statement to be so horrifically offensive on many levels not the least of which is that, you know, I have, you know, one parent, my father, uh, who is 97 years old. And, you know, the, the last thing I want is for him to suffer with this illness 
and and you know pass on you know in pain and in you know suffering and all of that so you know to uh, lieutenant governor patrick uh basically um dude you know you've got a lot of nerve you know that was probably one of the worst political statements i have ever heard you know that you actually would suggest that we are supposed to let our elders uh, die from this illness in order to preserve the economy, to you know save money from dragging on our healthcare system, to help the stock market get back to its you know pre-COVID highs. You know I I I just don't have words for how crass, how unfeeling, and just how wrong that statement is. Uh, for those of you who live in in Texas. Uh, when this gentleman comes back up for re-election, keep this in mind, that he wanted to have you uh, encourage your parents or your grandparents to take one for the team and, you know, save the stock market. Uh, that, I just, I, I, I can't process it. You know, it, it just is horrific. Um, so, you know, it, it has to be said that while we see, you know, examples of great heroism, of great altruism, especially, especially to our doctors and nurses, to our first responders, our police, our firefighters, our EMS, you know, our, our soldiers in the National Guard who are coming into these communities and building hospitals and, and setting up care facilities for patients in these hard-hit areas, you know, for the crews on both the uh, the medical ships, uh, the USS Comfort and the USS Mercy. Thank you all for all that you are doing to protect us, to keep us safe, to get us back to being healthy. You know, and for someone to make a statement like that really does not reflect uh, who we are as a country and who we are as a people. Shame on you, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Shame on you. Um, you know, and... and like I said, I, I just, I can't wrap my head around what would encourage someone to make a statement like that. So that being said, uh, other things that, you know, we, we need to focus on, again, you know, this show is a political show. It's not a medical show. Uh, you know, even though COVID-19 is, you know, overarching everything, it has overarched the, you know, political campaigns we still do have a political process going on in this country. And, you know, on the Democratic side, we are now down to two contenders, you know, former Vice President Joe Biden and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, who are, you know, still competing as they work toward the Democratic Convention to be held in July, uh, assuming, of course, that it doesn't get rescheduled due to the virus. Uh, and, you know, uh, achieving the Democratic nomination uh, as, a can as the candidate for president. Uh, what we've heard over the past uh, couple of weeks is, you know, a lot of concern from Sanders supporters uh, about, you know, you know, conceding the remainder of the race to Joe Biden and, you know, moving forward to the convention they don't necessarily want to let go of their candidate, uh, you know, when 
mathematically there isn't a, a real path for him to get the votes he needs unless he received every last one of the delegates still outstanding. And you know, in, in doing some research on it, here's what I found out. Uh, number one, as of today, give or take, give or take 24 hours, as of today, uh, former Vice President Biden has 1,217 delegates already committed to him, and Senator Sanders has 914. Uh, even if, you know, he he would need to get an additional, uh, and this is Senator Sanders, would need to get an additional 1,070 or 80 delegates committed to him over the remaining uh, primaries uh, to get to the 1991 needed to have the majority of delegates and be uh, chosen as the Democratic nominee, where Vice President Biden only needs an additional 780 delegates to get. And according to the delegate count remaining, there are a total of 1,677 delegates remaining uh, to be won. Uh, and given you know that uh, Vice President Biden has achieved a momentum and is likely to win, you know, a substantial amount of those, that there really isn't a path uh, for Senator Sanders to overtake and get the nomination. Even in a brokered convention where, you know, other delegates would be, would be brought into play, the delegates that have been gathered by all of the, well, not all of, but by uh, the candidates uh, most recently in the race, including uh, Mayor Bloomberg, Mayor Buttigieg, uh, Congressman Gabbard, uh, Senator Klobuchar, and Senator Warren uh, only would get him if they pledged all their delegates to Bernie Sanders would give him an additional 171 delegates. Now, most of these uh, candidates who dropped out have pledged their support to Vice President Biden. Uh, so, you know, that makes that path even more tricky for him to get to where he would need to be in order to get the nomination. So, you know, I, I have heard uh, a lot of, you know, talk in the political talk shows about, you know, what the options are and, you know, how to, you know, best accommodate the people who believe in Bernie Sanders. And, you know, Bernie has some really great ideas. Uh, he has galvanized a good portion of this country. Uh, by voter count, he has he has garnered some uh, how many here seven and a half million uh, votes in the popular vote to date in the primaries, and Vice President Biden uh, has uh, ten point one million votes or about a two point four million vote advantage. Uh, but you know we we cannot discount what Senator Sanders has brought to the table in terms of. Uh, discussion points and potential platform for the Democratic Party. So one, one suggestion that has started to gain a little bit of traction and seems to be gathering some momentum uh, would be to form some you know, form of uh, a coalition, uh, bring all of the Democratic candidates together with the stated mission of supporting 
the likely nominee, in this case Vice President Biden, but more importantly, to unify the Democratic opposition to you know, President Trump and the Republican control of the White House and the Senate and maintaining control and or increasing control in the House and get a Democratic government in place, which would more reflect you know, what the feeling of the vast majority of people in the United States who are not extreme left or not extreme right, but are actually much more populist and centrist, uh, which is where our country lies. So, you know, it, it's a great uh, idea to, to bandy about is what if rather than, you know, going at each other tooth and nail and in, in, in all of this in the remaining debates with the accusations and the allegations and, and all of this, what if the remaining debates were really a discussion of policy and platform from a unified perspective to say and present this is what the Democratic Party stands for, this is what we will work on and get accomplished you know, when we are elected, and this is why you should choose a Democratic candidate over the Republican candidates, as well as increase the level of support, as we've stated many times here on this program, for the down-ticket races, such as governors, state legislatures, state senates, uh, mayors, you know, uh, county, county elected officials, city elected officials, school boards, sheriffs, judges, all of these, you know, down-ticket races still will occur. So, you know, to, to, you know, to the Bernie supporters out there, uh, if your candidate, you know, is not going to pursue uh, you know, the nomination, please don't take that as an indication to, you know, take your marbles and go home and sit out the election. That is the exact opposite thing of what we need to do in order to make the kind of change in this country that we want to see happen. And that includes the kind of changes that, you know, Senator Sanders supporters want to see as well as those of Vice President Biden. Uh, the ultimate game here and the ultimate goal of this game is to bring change to America. And in order to do that, you know, there has to be unification. There has to be a unified message, a unified party, and a unified uh, discussion of what the, the current administration has done and is doing. You know, remember, this is the same administration that split families at the border, that have locked children in cages that have cut back on food assistance programs which impact more poor white people than they do people of color in this country. They have instituted trade policies that have impacted our farming sector, have impacted our manufacturing sector. All of these things done. On top of that, they have also, you know, put forward this massive tax cut which which dramatically benefited the you know one percent uh, wealthiest people in this country, and really gave table scraps to the the poor and working class people in this country. So you know the the bigger picture here to you know the, to the Bernie Bros and, and and Bernie gals out there is you know your candidate has a voice, has a message. 
that message needs to be brought together with you know the message of the other candidates who have run whether it's you know Bloomberg Warren Klobuchar Buttigieg uh, Booker Harris all of them there needs to be you know a unified chorus of this is the democratic platform these are the democratic principles and this is why the democratic party deserves to lead this country uh, uh, instead of you know the current republican administration getting a second term you know i don't know about you you know and you know it it, it is clear that a second four year stretch with this administration given what they have done so far uh, if, if they have a, another four-year term, uh, the, the people of this country, the working-class people, the, the, the poor people, the, the middle class, the lower middle class, the people who you know, punch that clock nine to five every day are going to take it on the chin. You know, it, it's clear you know, from everything from economic policy to social policies to response to the COVID virus, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's got to stop. And, you know, it, it's up to the people to exercise their voices and elect people into office who, as I've, I say many, many times, reflect the way you think, reflect your values, your ideals, not the ideals of big business, not the ideal the ideals of big pharma, you know, of, of the, the lobbyists and all of that, but to reflect the people. Uh, it, is, it is clear that, you know, this current administration has fallen way short on that. Uh, you know, they promised a lot of things that have not been delivered, and for that reason alone, they should be voted out of office. You know, as, as, we, as we advocate here on this show, if your elected officials are not doing what you put them in office to do, then you need to exercise your vote and show them the door. That's the way our system is designed to work, that if they do not, you know, meet up to our expectations, if they are not held accountable, then they are voted out. That's the way it works, and that's the way it's supposed to work. Um, you know, it, it's clear that a, a team can be built, you know, on the Democratic side where, you know, all of the voices that brought these ideas to the table, you know, uh, this, this idea of, you know, giving uh, the American people a, you know, a, a pay bonus really is in line with ideas that presidential candidate Andrew Yang was talking about in his campaign. Um, you know, the, the changes that need to be made in our medical systems are ones that both Senator Sanders and Senator Warren were clearly advocating for in their political campaigns. There are all kinds of ideas that need to be blended into the Democratic platform and presented as a logical alternative to what we currently have. You know, it, it's, it's interesting to note that School systems in this country, um, roughly uh, at the last time I looked, uh, which was a few days ago, uh, roughly 25 states have closed some or all of their schools uh, in the face of the you know, COVID-19 virus. And yet, it wasn't until uh, Saturday that the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, 
made any kind of statement, had had any kind of public presence uh, and, and statement made on you know, the, the school systems in this country. She has been totally silent. Same thing with concerns around you know, housing. The housing secretary has been mostly silent and standing in the background. You know, this is not, not acceptable. These people are supposed to be leading the administration's effort in these areas, and they should be speaking up. They should be communicating and letting the American people know what the positions are, how the processes are going to work, how things are going to be changed, you know, and so forth. And yet they've been silent, you know, and, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. So, you know, as we, you know, talk about, you know, on and on and on in this program, you know, we need to pay attention. We need to get educated, get informed, ask questions, and this goes up and down the ticket. You know, if your local elected officials are, you know, not responding or not making statements, if they're not talking to you about what the impacts of this virus is in your community, uh, if they're not talking to you about, you know, changes and innovations that need to happen with your school systems or with your medical care systems or with your transportation systems, you need to be asking them those questions. And if they're not giving you satisfactory answers, exercise the vote, show them the door. You know, that is our role as citizens in this country. That is what we are supposed to do. We need to hold our political officials accountable. We need to, to be that counterbalance against the big money so that you know, they know that it doesn't matter how much money you're getting from whoever your lobbyist is or whatever you know, corporations or PACs are supporting you, that if you're not meeting the needs of the people, that you have got to go. So you know, that's, that's what we talk about you know, just about every week here on this program. That's why it's called Fire It Up, because the American voters need to be fired up, have to be fired up, have to be engaged, have to be active in order to bring change to this country. You know, we can, we can talk about hopes and dreams all day long, but if we're not getting out there and putting the action to the rhetoric, then it's just words. So, you know, can't say it any clearer than that. And I, I know it sounds like a rant, but guess what? It's a rant. So, you know, that's what we've got to do. Uh, and you've got to get fired up to make sure that you're out there uh, letting your elected officials know from, you know, your local people all the way up to the White House to let them know what it is that you want, what it is that you expect of them, and what it is that they better deliver or their term will end. So that being said, uh, let's take our, our second break here and we'll uh, come back and do our call to action segment and wrap up the show. You're listening to Fired Up. This is Steve. You're on WJMSRadio.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. 
not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Shaper Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the point from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Greenacres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm, woman liberationist, and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. And we're back, and welcome back to Fired Up. This is Steve. We're right here on WJMSRadio.com. And this is the section of the show that I call our call to action. Uh, basically, it's our homework assignment on what we need to do in order to work toward getting the change we seek to happen here in our country. So, you know, as we've talked about this episode, uh, we talked about the uh, passing of the historic $2 trillion rescue bill by uh the government. Uh, kudos to the House and the Senate and to the President for getting that bill out and done expeditiously uh, for Washington, that is. And, you know, it, it does, you know, the, the key things that are needed to be done, uh, it's a really strong statement, a good start. Uh, to find out more about it, you can obviously go in and search the you know two trillion dollar rescue package signed by the government it's all over the news uh, additionally we talked about you know some of the political gamesmanship that's been going on both with the bill and in terms of you know overall the government's response to our corona uh, virus uh, COVID-19 crisis and you know 
typically and in particular, you know, some of the things that have uh, come out of the White House uh, on this epidemic uh, that have been uh, misleading, less than factual, uh, wrong. And, you know, again, as always, do your diligence, do your research. Don't just take, you know, one source's word for it, you know, whether it's a media source, a government source, you know, anyone can tell you anything. Go out, find out the facts. Um, And in fact, speaking of uh, sources, there is now a, a website that has been set up by the federal government that kind of consolidates all of the coronavirus information under one umbrella and it is coronavirus.gov, and I'll spell that. It's C-O-R-O-N-A-V-I-R-U-S dot G-O-V. So if you go there, there are links to the CDC website, to the World Health Organization website, to the National Institutes of Health website. They've got all the facts and figures, uh, descriptions and details about the symptoms, what you should do if you believe that you are sick, you know, all of these steps are outlined on this one uh, informative web page. I recommend it as one of the sources you go to uh, when you hear information about COVID-19 and you want to check and verify uh, the truth of that. So there's a website that you can go to and get all the information that you're looking for on the coronavirus. And that site, again, is coronavirus.gov. I will tweet that out of my Twitter account. I will post a link to it on my Facebook page, and that information will be out there. Uh, Additionally, in our call to action, and as I said, just in the the immediate last segment, let's not forget that while, you know, the COVID-19 is very important and is, you know, something we all need to be focused on and concerned about, there are still you know, other things that need our attention as well. We cannot take our eye off the ball in terms of the election process that we're on. You know, make sure that you are going to vote.org website and check and see what elections are coming up in your area of the country, particularly since a lot of primaries are being rescheduled or shuffled around because of the virus. Uh, Make sure that you stay on top of that. Don't forget that you need to make sure that your status as a registered voter is intact and correct and up to date and that you have all the information you need in order to vote in any upcoming elections that are happening. Make sure that you are doing your research on the candidates in your local areas, your candidates for school board, for city council, for mayor, for state representative, for state senator, for governor. You know, any of these positions have a day-to-day impact on what happens in your life. And if you didn't believe it before, look at how much impact your state and local government is having in regards to the response to this outbreak. You know, governors, uh, again, as I said in the first segment, because of the slow-to-respond aspect of what happened with the federal government, Many states' governors stepped up, especially those that had an abundance of cases, uh, stepped up early, took decisive action, and put things in place to help the people weather this storm. So make sure that you are talking to them about what's going on and asking them questions, getting feedback, finding out information, doing what you need to do. Um, Additionally, you know, the 
the uh, in addition to the election process, um, you know, we've got to make sure that we stay focused on what's going on with you know other uh, political uh, aspects of our our society. We need to make sure that we are, as I said, talking with our elected officials. We need to make sure that we have our eyes out and are looking for what's going on out there uh, to make sure that we are not only you know, staying safe, but we're following the instructions that are given to us. You know, under the, the guidelines, you know, uh, several states uh, have declared statewide uh, quarantine in place, you know, basically unless it's, it's for necessary uh, groceries, medicines, you know, or other emergency or, or exigent circumstances, they are, <coughs> governors, excuse me, are, are urging their residents to stay at home, to stay sheltered, and to isolate themselves from others so that we can stop and break the chain of infection of this disease in our country. And, you know, that is wise words, and, and you should heed them. If you don't have to go out, if you are under a, a, a shut-in order in your state, please abide by that. You know, it is for your protection as well as the protection of your neighbors and your community. So, you know, we can get through this. We will get through this. Uh, but how well we get through it depends on not only the actions of our elected officials and our government and our first responders, but also on what we do, what, you know, we do to protect ourselves, protect our loved ones, and protect our community. So, you know, make sure that you're doing whatever you need to do. Wash your hands many times a day. Use hand sanitizer, you know, disinfectant wipes, uh, you know, use gloves if you have them, particularly on public door handles. You know, uh, even if you don't have the latex gloves, uh, a pair of work gloves or, or cloth gloves will work fine in, in helping to protect your hands. Just make sure that you wash them periodically to keep them clean. So in, in all aspects, please stay safe, stay healthy. I look forward to speaking to you again in seven days. Hopefully we will be making more progress in getting toward the end of this. But we still have a ways to go, so let's not be disheartened. Let's not panic. Let's be purposeful. All right, everybody, please stay safe, stay healthy. I look forward to, see, to speaking with you again next week. You're listening to Fired Up Radio. My name is Steve. We're right here on WJMSRadio.com. Please be healthy, stay safe, and I will talk to you again in seven days. Started yesterday, and we're already late.